Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. On the planet. With your host, Paul Murphy, and expert coach, Nick Nanavati. Hello and welcome everyone to the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul Murphy, your host. I'm joined by Nick Nanavati. What's up? What's up, everybody? And on this show, we have Meta Buster Mike Walsh, recent winner of the Mayhem Grand Tournament in North Carolina. Michael, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I want to remind everyone this is part one of a two-part conversation. Uh, this is in the first part. We're going to be talking about the list, maybe some secondaries, uh, maybe a few like stratagems you keep in your back pocket, and a little bit about the uh, the tournament experience and the win that you pulled down. And part two of this episode, which is uh, you can subscribe to, to listen to, we'll be talking into like specific matchups, get real down into the nitty gritty about how you engage with opponents, navigate situations, basically how to win. I'm looking forward to this whole conversation, Mike. So for a little bit uh, so people do they probably know you because you've been playing around forever all over the country in the past you've won battle brothers grand tournament uh this year you came second place with your team in the Depticon team tournament i'd also like to point out that you and i teamed up together and brought down a big tournament in florida several years ago i don't know if you remember that the bolter beach florida that's where i'm from paul you got to come over here now Yeah, actually, I actually had to look that up on my phone, Paul, earlier, if you believe it. And it was all the way back in 2010, (laughs) (laughs) the Bolter Beach Duos team tournament. I had to Google and look it up on Bolter and Chainsword, if anybody else remembers that old website, kind of dating myself. (laughs) (laughs) It was a great time. Uh, So anyway, I just want to establish how you have been playing a long time. Definitely familiar with your style and your approach to the game and want to talk about it in this episode. Yeah, cool, cool. I'm uh, stoked to be here. So do you want me to talk about the list first? Or do you want me to kind of just talk yeah, about Yeah, let's run down the list. Yeah, what you got? Uh, what, so you you actually, when I said Meta Buster, you took the Adeptosaurus <laughs> and, you know, basically pulled down the trophy with something people didn't expect. So I want to hear about it. Especially sisters are one of the toughest armies to play and actually navigate on the table. They got so many rules and tricks and nuances. So I'm really excited for part two when we get into the, the little tactics and all the nuances to that. Yeah, I think sisters has a ton of potential and it's got, uh, you just have to play really, really tight and have kind of a mastery i think uh, the ceiling and the floor there's a pretty big difference for sisters for sure definitely well we've seen them uh you know a lot of players struggle with sisters to get the value out of them but then we see a couple players uh like yourself or john lennon another art of war coach doing exceptionally well throughout the season with them so really interested in unpacking it mike break down your list for us okay so it was pretty straightforward it was just a battalion of bloody rose 1996 points and uh, start the game with 8 CP, so a reasonable amount. And then no Force Org slot. I have a Repentious Superior. You get one of her for free due to some character choices and unit choices. I have a Canonist with Blessed Blade. She had Chapel to Sacrifice and Blazing Ire and Word of the Emperor. And more of involves my Warlord. Two five-man Battle Sister squads, 10-man Novitiate squad, and their boss had a Power Sword. And then in Elites, I had a unit of two Crusaders, a Dogmata, with Chorus of Spiritual Fortitude and Verse of Holy Piety. And then she had the Sigil Relic, so she's a little bit better at that. I had Hospitaller with Litanies of Faith and Indomitable Belief to buff her auras. I had two eight-girl Repentia squads, a four-girl Repentia squad. And Fast, I had a unit of six Seraphim with two Handflamers. And then I had two five-girl Seraphim 
um, jump units with pennants. And then in heavy support, I had a castigator and then two 10 um, man retributor squads with four multi-meltas, a simulacrum, and then a hand flamer on the sergeant. And then I had a rhino. So pretty straightforward. Nice. And this is all bloody rose with the bloody rose supplement. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Well, what does that do for you specifically? Like why, why go that route? Bloody rose. If uh, for people who don't know much about sisters, just think of bloody rose as the punchy one, you know? So when they, the first round of combat, if they get charged, charged, heroic, any of that, they get plus one attack and then they get plus one extra AP, which is really relevant in kind of the armor of contempt world we live in. Yeah. yeah, how much did the armor of contempt actually contribute to and maybe getting you out of some tough situations? You know, with with toughness three and with the skill curve being on the Adeptus Oratos, like has armor of contempt been a you know been a real big buff or something you would have not needed otherwise? I think it's nice. The main thing with Bloody Rose is almost every hand to hand attack, the turn they go in is like AP four with the buff with the plus one they get, which is kind of similar to why some of the Kraken lists for Nids have been doing so well. They can hit those AP four. AP5 break marks where or break points where things that have a two up or three up save just don't get a save. So that's that's really nice when you're starting in the AP4. That mattered in that mattered in the Deathwing matchup and that mattered in the Kason matchup that I had over the weekend for sure. It almost feels like AP is like a prerequisite to compete. It didn't used to be, but now with our saves being so good with armor of contempt and all that, you have to be like this tall, otherwise you're just not gonna be able to participate with things like Space Marine Terminators or Thousand Suns or something like that. Yeah, for people, you know who played in previous editions, it almost feels like AP4 is like the new power weapon, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's like you're AP4 or you're nothing at all. Basically is how it feels. So you got the Bloody Rose supplement, and I know that's pretty not commonly seen. Uh, what what exactly benefits do you get from that? So there are some cool warlord traits and stratagems in there. Uh, I didn't play any of the warlord traits or relics from it, uh, though I had considered it. I kind of switched at the last second. There's a cool power sword to give you some mortal wound um, tech in there if you need it. Uh, it's mainly just that Bloody Rose is kind of the best one right now, and that that's what they gave you a supplement for. So there, I think from the supplement, there was two stratagems I used the whole weekend. Probably the most notable is it lets you scout a rhino that could have a unit in it without having to have or pay the tax for a dominion squad and then the other one is i think called savage twist which is one of the ones that lets you it's the stratagem that lets basically any infantry or unit in your army on sixes to wound do an extra point of damage which is really relevant into some of the harder to hit units like uh, chaos knights that are just harder to convert damage into so when you get damage on them you just really need it to stick and it's also really relevant in two of the matchups i actually happen to play deathwing and caissons which have some you know aren't you know deathwing has damage reduction so anytime you can spike damage it really helps so mainly those two or three stratagems. Gotcha. I wasn't sure how, how deep you went into it, but it sounds like you wanted to play Bloody Rose and this is just a couple of buffs on top, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. You just They just punch the hardest right now. Um, we had for a while been doing a bunch of playtesting with some Valorous Heart 30 Sacrosant builds. Uh, prior to the last data slate entry. And we did some testing with that because the idea of having, and I did some testing with like a basically a 100 model, 110 model version of the army as Valor's Heart. And the idea was that just going to have 110 models that you don't get any rerolls to wound verse and all are going to be two up saves, ignore minus one in cover. And I'm just going to kind of stand on objectives. But in some of the mirror matches, 
like not that that's really relevant into Bloody Rose or but against something like Kraken, those armies can still just run over that, which is as crazy as it sounds. No, it's yeah, they that's durability tech check you're trying to pass, but a lot of people can just kill you from there. So you have a lot of characters in your army with a lot of warlord traits, relics, abilities, things, and I know sisters kind of are built around their characters in a lot of regards. So why don't you break down what these characters do? All right, so I'd have to just start at the top uh, with Morvan Vol. She's the warlord, and I think she's. One of the coolest and just one of the most like powerful pieces in the whole game. She you know has a really good aura. She's for people who don't know her, she's basically their version of Gilliman. She's their version of Abaddon. She's a High Lord of Terra. She's their version of Trajan. She has an aura that's kind of like a captain aura, but it's she has a captain and lieutenant aura built in. So she gives reroll to hits and wound of one. And then she has one of the better buffs in the whole game that she can just put on a, a core character unit that gives them complete rerolls to hit and wound. And then in hand to hand, she's a boss because she gets rerolls to hit and wound herself. So she, she, gets, she hits and shoots. Yeah. <laughs> It came up, it might come up a little bit later on. She actually makes really good usage of the Suffer the Witch stratagem, which gets plus one to hit and wound versus Psychers. I'm sure that will come up later on. She's also got a four-up feeling pain versus mortals, which is really pertinent right now. Yeah, and she has damage. So, like, with, between using a Miracle Die, between using a Command Reroll, between using Moment of Grace, you really got to commit something pretty serious to take her out to, and a lot of times that's kind of a trap. So I've got her, I've got my Canonist. The most notable thing about the Canonist, because uh, there's a lot of different ways you can play her, is that she has Word of the Emperor. Um, that's one of the miraculous abilities that Sisters got in the new book. I think it's the best one. And it basically has two parts. The first part is that she just picks something within three inches and they have to fight last. Um, what's nice about that is she doesn't have to be engaged with them. It's just like an aura, kind of like some of the other characters in the game, like the Judicare, I think. And then her miraculous ability is that once a game, she just expends a miracle die that can be anywhere from one to six and increases the aura that turns off all invulnerable saves for the opponent basically until your next command phase in that range. Uh, so if you use a six, it's a 12 inch diameter circle from her that people just don't get a vulnerable save versus. And if that sounds like that creates devastating opportunities, it like certainly does. So most notable thing is the miraculous ability and the second is Blazing Ire, which is the Bloody Rose Warlord trait, which I think is the best one because it gives her more movement and whenever you're playing, I mean, ninth edition, I hear the Art of War team talks about all the time, like the whole edition's about movement and it doesn't do you any good having this awesome piece that's super disruptive and basically a silver bullet. That doesn't do you any good if she can't be where you need her to be when you need her to be there. You know, I love the Art of War quoting you just did. Warmed my heart. Yeah. Absolutely. 40 days, <laughs> yeah. one lost in the moon phase. Preach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it doesn't matter if she's got this awesome ability if she's stuck in Egypt somewhere no, and can't be in the fight. Hey, Egypt's a cool place, you know? Let her, let her live her life. <laughs> And then she had, uh, for a relic, she had Chaplet of Sacrifice. I did consider, so Chaplet of Sacrifice just gives her reroll to hit, which is nice. She's got a Blessed Blade, so she's like strength five AP, you know, two or three or four, I can't remember, with two damage. Um, Chaplet gives her free rerolls, and it gives her like a free usage of a stratagem. A lot of times that's Moment of Grace, because it gives her a free Epic Deed stratagem. And Moment of Grace, uh, you know, we'll talk about it later, is the one that kind of helps modify saves, hits, wounds. And um, I think it gives her a fight on death too. The other relic that I considered for her was Mantle of Ophelia, which reduces all damage down to one damage, like particularly for I've played Chaos Knight. She is so 
It is obscene how hard she is to kill. Yeah, me and I practice a lot with a good buddy, Jeremy Knox, and we'd done a test game and he'd had his avatar all revved up and he just went into her thinking he was going to take her out and she only took like two damage. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we had my Art of War podcast. Uh, one of the episodes was the uh, Halo Doomlist I've been running and I yeah. played a game against a mantle of Ophelia Candidness. She was in Valorous Heart, so it was a little bit more tough, but I literally shot her with like 1,600 points of Eldar. It was like one of those turns where I kill everything else towards the end of the game, so I just put everything into her and she was just there with like two wounds left (laughs) what so that if i wasn't playing blazing ire so the reason that the valorous heart one is so good is because they have like a basically they have a a warlord trait they can take that gives her five up feel no pain and so you take oh you hit me for six damage that becomes one damage and then i have a five up feel no pain versus it um so they gave bloody rose that same warlord trait it's not identical but bloody rose does have access to a five up feel no pain and that was one of the versions i did consider was running mantle plus the five up feel no pain to just have this like unkillable cannoness derping around in the middle but i wanted blazing ire specifically for like uh tyranids and eldar and harlequins because of the movement and at the end of the day if a chaos knight was rolling up to fight my canoness then i was probably just sending it to the shadow realm anyways the next turn you know so that's the canoness she's awesome got a repentia superior she's just kind of stock 40 points nothing special about her but she gives the repentia driven onwards which is uh, they can advance in charge it also works on her and then she can also do 3d6 she gives them 3d6 pick the two highest so if you're running two or three squads of repentia you kind of like just have to have her and she turns them on she's also a fairly cheap expendable character so you could use her creatively as like a screen or something or even to go hold an objective in the open and then revive her with your strat to just revive a character do you ever find yourself doing that with her uh i so i didn't uh revive her this weekend but i i did in like the rtt i played with her and i used her to screen deep strikes for sure and a lot of times what you have these kind of these characters come because the just the way the army fights it's got a bunch of stuff but almost every turn all of the stuff is doing something if that makes sense it's either outflanking it's it's moving up to shoot it's advancing and charging it's moving over to a flank to score an objective so a lot of times in those first early turns of the game those characters can like raise banners which is helpful turn one or turn two and they also are good sources of ways to use your miracle dice to get leap of faith points like, creatively yeah all right and 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 no matter how many times you ever tell your opponent that sisters can stand any character up except for Vol, uh they will try to uh, extend beyond their means and assassinate the most lowly character only to have that character stand up so that's sure <laughs> something that happens yeah oh, we talk about that a lot well i'm sure we'll get to it how assassination is is not working out as well cool. as people expect it to did people take assassinate against you they took it all five games oh, and wow. and i only gave up <laughs> I think I gave up either three or either six points the entire weekend. The entire weekend. So out of a potential yeah. 75 assassinate points, you gave up a single digit. Yeah, I gave up either three or six. I can't remember, but it was like it was one or two times. I lost something. For all of you non-sisters players out there, every single one of you, do not take assassinate versus sisters. You never do it. It's the no. biggest trap of all time. Don't do it. Unless you play me, then you're welcome to do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you not to, but you probably will anyways. 
The next one is Dogmata, and she's like their sister's chaplain. She's got a, a relic which lets her uh, intone two powers. Uh, they don't have the Master of Sanctity upgrade, unfortunately, or like the um, the humble staff. So theirs aren't on two ups, which kind of stinks, but it's on three ups. Um, and she has two prayers: verse of holy piety and chorus of spiritual fortitude. She this piece just does so much. Vic, who's uh, I think Vic's currently like ranked number one in the world on ITC right now, and he's on the Art of War uh, Discord, and we talk a lot. And he was talking. About about maybe taking his dogmata out of his list this week. And I told him never do it. And then <laughs> we had a back and forth in the sisters discord this week about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Love that discord she, community, Mike. Thanks for that. Yeah. So her prayers are of oh, this character just does so much. She's one of my favorite pieces in the whole army. Uh, if, if you knew what she does and you, I mean, which I'll explain it and she's only 65 points, you would just every army that could take her would take her. So she's got two prayers. Uh, she can do two because she's got the relic. Her verse of Holy Piety is really useful. Um, also, Sisters have like a sacred right. Uh, that's kind of their what they pick at the start of the game. And almost universally, that's going to be the passion. Uh, for people that don't know what the passion is, that's you, you're basically your whole team gets exploding sixes. So everybody gets exploding sixes uh, in melee. There is another one that if you play against, if you played against like Think City, Nids, you probably still take the passion, but there's another one that gives your army gives you an army-wide five-up deny, which is the one that I usually take if I play against K-Suns, because your whole army being able to deny any off of anything for five up is really good but what she but holy piety does is it lets you pick an, another sacred right that's not currently active for your army so if you default to the passion and you take the one sometimes you take the one that's like hey this unit can deny on a five up most often though and i think in all of the times i used it this weekend except for one that was i can't remember what it's called but it basically is plus one advance in charge uh and that is really good on her pincha obviously especially for pincha that are running and advancing and charging because it basically gives them plus two movement and increases their threat range up to like 26 inches it's also really sneaky when you combine that with miracle dice and something comes in from reserve and instead of needing a nine to charge you pop a strat so that you auto pass the incantation and you give them like an eight inch charge which is really helpful i'm sure we'll talk about that strat usage later on too uh, she's also got course of spiritual fortitude and you can just think of that as she turns a unit into a Kaluxus assassin which is really good they have any buffs or, or debuffs on them they fall off and then they can't be affected by psychic spells and then in addition to that, she makes something obsec uh, in the in the phase. She just picks as, hey, you're obsec if you're a core unit. And then she can also make a unit shoot and do an action, which is really relevant, especially when you have the 10-girl retributor squads. If you're doing something like raise a banner or rod and they still get to shoot, that's really powerful. She's also okay in hand-to-hand, too. It sounds like uh, everything you've done has been really well thought and methodical. It's not like you're just throwing darts at your codex and, and just taking stuff randomly that's generically good. There's a rhyme and reason to it all. One thing I think a lot of players struggle with with though with sisters especially is what do they actually do on the table like what is this army's premise how does it play tactically on the board it basically i think just wants to play a control style game you want to set up terrain pretty defensively if you can play stranglehold um you you kind of want to do that you kind of want to raise banners you want to set up terrain pretty conservatively you want to move up into kind of a mid-board or staged off to slightly mid-board position and you kind of just want to sit there and you just want to play a really good trading game where you have all these units in your army like 115 112 point repinches or 56 repinches or 90 point repinches that you can put your buffs on and then they can just go kill something that's two three four hundred points so you just want to basically jockey for position set your train up defensively get mid-board and sit there 
and just make them come do something about it. If you can get into an early advantage where you're just outscoring primary and you force your opponent to have to step into your threat ranges, then that's really the ideal world the sisters want to live in. They don't really want to get in this board state versus something like Eldar where terrain's scattered to the wind and there's a bunch of objectives out in the open, you know, 15 inches away and they've kind of like just got to go stand on them. They'd rather have objectives by terrain that they can kind of hide out and then just really threaten, you know, in that kind of 14, 16, 18, 20, 22 inch threat range from hand to hand like nukes. Yeah. They had such explosive damage in mid board, like with Repentia and just charging stuff reasonably far from like 18 inches away with Miracle Dice, multi-melted retributors, annihilating things close by. But they don't have great mobility to just run across the table and deliver it. If you can create a situation where your opponent has to come to you so that they deliver themselves to your multi-melteds and eviscerators, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think to unpack that a little bit more, we're going to have to get into the secondary plan, though. Well, hang, hang on one second. The Hospitaller. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. She uh, she was one of the later additions. Um, she's nice, and she's just really a nod to some Eldritch Storm play. She basically is everything a six up feel no pain uh in around the team she's also very good with the 10 girl retributor squads in particular because one of the tactics that you can do is you can put like you can have 10 retributors in a building where only four of them are out of los so you put your four multi-meltas on one side of a building so that they can shoot and then you jump out you give them vols buff they reroll to hit and wound they do their whole business they pop their cherub and shoot and then when your opponent engages back most armies can't kill 10 at once but they can kill three, four, or five at once. So when they shoot back, you just pull all of your multi-meltas that died, have them be your first casualties. And then your Hospitaller has a strat that she can do where she can regrow D3 of them. And so you can just spend one CP and you know maybe put back two multi-meltas on the team and then do that trick again. She also has Warlord Trait and Domitable Belief, which helps buff the invulnerable saves for the team nearby. Uh, it changes their six up to a five up. And then she also has the uh, Litanies of Faith Relic, which gives the once a, a battle round reroll on the Miracle Die, which is pretty relevant if you roll something like a two that you don't really want. And can you walk through that, like the the casually pulling like methodology one more time? Like why pull multi-melters at all to, to risk not getting all three of them back when you could just pull some bolters? Yeah, so I mean, you the idea is that if you have a piece of terrain and you kind of want to, you know, we don't have Fire and Fade like Tau or Eldar, we don't have Sweeping Hawks to reposition. So the Sister's way of doing that, of getting their damage in and then kind of conserving that resource is putting, you know, uh, multi-melters on one side of a wall. Again, you shoot them. And in a perfect world, you would only lose four and then you would grow back three. So you kind of net losing one, but three with a cherub is still eight shots, which is really good. But, you know, like I said, the point of Sister's kind of, it's a really tactical army and you have to play really, really tight. And it's about conserving your resources in kind of like a trade game. So if you can put four multi-meltas on one side of the wall they shoot and they're pretty devastating fire their 10 shots with a cherub you know and if if say you get hit by something that kills five sisters if you pull the four multi-meltas and then one sister in the back behind the wall well then that squad's not taking like any more damage and then the next turn even if you only grow back two sister two multi-melta sisters right having four sisters and two multi-meltas that have access to an extra miracle through their banner and a cherub is still really really powerful and it really 
forces you to kind of your opponent to try to figure out if they want to engage that squad again, because that could happen again. And that's really, really annoying. And they, if they want to time walk themselves or if they want to engage something else, and if they don't do anything about that squad, then you just grow two back again. And then your squad's back at full strength. Yeah, no, um, thanks, for, th- thanks for breaking that down. Oh, uh, there is one more sisters do also have a shoot on death stratagem in bloody rose. I am not very good at that stratagem because you have to like roll dices uh, or dice to shoot it. But basically when you pull a casualty, if you do your strat, then, um, that school, that unit can shoot on death on like a four up and they do benefit from the rerolls and all that stuff too. So that's a common thing. You put the multi-melters, you shoot, they shoot back, you pop your strat, the multi-melters die, you shoot the multi-melters and then t- in your turn, your squad lives and then they grow back. So that extra layer of shoot you in your turn is powerful when you roll four ups. I just never do very well with that stratagem. <laughs> <laughs> it always feels Fair. that way, doesn't it? <laughs> Fair enough. I do. It's like, you've really got to weigh that value assessment is if is it worth the CP investment to then have a chance at rolling, you know, of getting value out of that. It's a, it's a difficult thing to do depending on where your resources are in the in the game. And it sounds like you have invested a lot of your CP early in the game and you don't start with a ton. So you got to kind of be real careful and precise. Yeah. That goes kind of hand in hand with like Nick was just mentioning about the overall threat ranges. Something that Vic and I have talked about too, and the Art of War Discord has talked a lot about, is because sisters don't have those real ranges too much over 30 inches by the time you factor in movement. A lot of it's 24 inch based from shooting or from the 24 inch threat range. Is there really like a reserve heavy army? And that's how they have pieces that go out and threaten either from shooting to get angles that they otherwise don't have access to, or just like those assault vectors that, you know, the miracle dice really change the way a lot of people just have to play the game and do their basic screening sort of stuff because you know that if you've got that nine or ten or eleven sitting there that basically at any point you can come in and just connect that charge from from anywhere and so uh, you know i do start at eight cp but i would say in every game i spent two or three of those cp um outflanking things and that that actually the power level difference on some of the unit choices is actually specifically for for that and i think of all the armies in all of 40k sisters is the most one that's generally just most aware of the power levels of their units so for you to be able to do the math on how to um, reserve things properly to kind of do you know what we just talked about we are yeah yeah we're gonna take a quick break here for station identification and we'll be back on the other side about seeing about 20 or 30 seconds or so like what you're listening to be sure to check out the second part of this episode where we break down specifically how our guest plays against all the top armies in the game want even more awesome warhammer content check out the war room the war room You'll gain access to the minds of the best Warhammer players in the world with brand new content every single week. Join our amazing community, elevate your game, and enjoy your hobby more. Hey everybody, we are back. Still got Mike Walsh. Hey, what's up? And Nick Notabody. We back, everybody. So, okay, now we talk about the secondaries. With secondaries, I think it's easy, you know, to kind of struggle here to figure out exactly what to pick going into this. You know, what what you what is available to you. But with Adeptosaurus, do you feel like that's the case as well? Do you have a set of secondaries that you normally go with that seem to work well for every army, or something that you can take some of your opponent's army out of the question and still score your points? Um, 
so, yeah, so I guess before I dive into that, I would just say that like uh, overall, um, 40K in the last year for me, you know, I've always been pretty good at 40K, um, but I've had a really great year this year with the the wins and the good run in Cherokee and Adepticon less Adepticon specifically about the next topic I'm going to say, but the Art of War videos, the strategy sessions, and the Discord have really helped change the way that I fundamentally approach 40k from just being somebody who was like always good at strategy or good at moving models, which for a long time was my strength. I think if I look at the main difference between me this year in 2022 and the difference in maybe last year in 2021 or 2020 was that I walk up to the, the game and especially in player place terrain, instead of not knowing what I was doing and YOLOing it every single game. I walk up and have an idea of how I want to put the terrain down. And I know my secondaries before I walk up to the game. And I have like a base set of secondaries that I'm just going to plan. That's my game plan. And there's always a little wiggle room. But I think having just an overall better understanding of how the map should be set up per the mission you're playing. I know that there's really good videos about that topic on the Art of War service. And specifically the secondaries, having a plan for that, which I think is also covered in some of the clinic stuff, really has helped me take my game to like the next level basically in the four big tournaments i've played it again not counting adepticon because we used like fifth edition stuff there <laughs> but for sisters like every plan like i just talked about in the last section was i want to set up my terrain super conservatively i just want to kind of take i think in almost every game i took leap of faith um that's the sister specific one which some people say is like an auto 12 i think more consistently unless you're being reckless it's like an auto 10 but having something that you know you can just play your game and you don't have to do anything crazy to do and score a 10 is really good a lot of times i took banners in any mission that lets you play banners because again all sisters wants to do is walk up put their banners down and then just make the opponent come to them you know that's like all they want to do with their life and then i took stranglehold and almost every mission that i put in every five objective mission you just default take stranglehold sisters is one of the best stranglehold armies so if you look at leap as the default and if you play in a five round tournament there's of the five games four will be five objectives and you default stranglehold in those and the ones that you take banners you take banners and if not you take rod and then you kind of go from there i think there was one time where i didn't take stranglehold versus like maybe deathwing and you could take like engage because you you know it was it was the data scry salvage where there's like the four objectives in the middle and you know you don't necessarily want to just fight 40 terminators if you don't have to you'd kind of just rather play around them unless you want to go kill them so i'd say leap banners and stranglehold with flexing to engage or or rod if needed one thing i love about your approach with sisters and you just your approach with secondaries in general i can tell you're student of art of war is that you have your secondary plan going into the game and then you have some flexible go-to's based on the actual situation like you said you didn't take strangle over his death guard or when you went from banners to r&d based on if the mission didn't really allow you to take banners that effectively or whatever the reason was how do you know when to take what secondary how do you actually put the plan like know when to deviate from the, the go-to plan i think like i said you most of the time take leap and that's just kind of their stranglehold again unless it's the five objective mission if it's a five objective mission i just took strangle um the six objectives you know for something like data scry salvage which can be really awkward. That's the one for people who don't know. Uh, a lot of people say it's like one of the harder missions in 40K, but that's the one that me and my main test partner 
Jay Knox like always play just because it's like the, one of the harder ones. So we just play that all the time. And because that's at an angle, things like are engaged are pretty easy on that one because you only have to really step across and you can score it. So and and that's one of those six objective ones, which can sometimes turn into like a, a hammer and anvil style game. So that's one where I think a lot of times I would switch from stranglehold to engage. And then banners is really if if there's two objectives or you know ideally three, but if there's two that I can just stand here and not do anything and make you come fight me, even if that ends up being a point or two less maybe than rod, the fact that it lets you just kind of dictate the way the game plays and gives less um, less ability for your opponent to like try to screen you out, then banners is safer. But there are a couple of armies now, things like Deathwing, which have risen up, things like Imperial Knights, Chaos Knights, things like even Thousand Sons, where things like, or Harlequins, where Rod is pretty helpful. And so if you just wanted to make a, a very blanket statement, you could say, if five objectives, take Strangle. If fighting something, and you also think of it as something that you really want to fight and engage with, jockey for the middle position, then you take Strangle if you just want to fight them. If they're scary and you don't want to fight them, then try to take Engage and just play something that's like, if you look at the army and that looks like terrifying to you, don't take Strangle, just take Engage. And it probably will work out very similarly. Albeit you may score two less points, but you'll have more fun and the game will be less, you'll have like less anxiety in the game because you're just kind of staying away playing your game and not feeling forced to overextend. And then I would say that Banners and Rod kind of are in that same bracket where if it's something I can just wholesale fight and and they're scared to fight me, I'm just going to take Banners and score a big score on it. If it's something that's scary to me and I don't really want to fight or I think they're just going to, I think a good example may be Kraken, you know, Kraken, Ravage with the Swarm Lord, something like Matt Robertson's been playing, where he can make these like obsec missiles with Raveners come in, kill whatever's on the objective, and then take your objective and knock your banner down. So um, while Rod is not like the best case versus something like Tyranids, that's be that might be a situation where if they were playing the Leviathan build, I would take banners. And if they were playing the more aggressive build, I would probably switch out of that. And if it felt like I could play Rod, I would. But against Nids, I would probably transition to one of the like kill categories like um, No Mercies or Bring It Down or something like that. Because Sisters can wheel into those. So take your take your leap of faith, play your, your board one, either fight them for it with Stranglehold or Engage, or you know, do the other ones with the Shadow Ops. And if you need to switch into one of the Killy ones, then that's fine too. Nice. Really great breakdown of all different secondaries, Mike. Appreciate that. One thing you said that really struck out to me was actually not about secondaries, but how you practice. You said you and your buddy practice on, on Data Scry Salvage because it's one of the, uh, it's perceived as one of the harder missions out there uh, just because it's a hold to a lot of objectives in the middle. You can't really just auto pick Stranglehold. So what do you actually take? Banners is challenging. Do you find, I'm all for practicing the hard stuff, but do you find with that it makes you better at the game because you're playing on hard mode or do you find you don't act, you're lacking practice in the other missions well i think i'm you know in addition to just being in a better i would say mental headspace with 40k in the last year being at a better place to like just have i, I played for forever but i think right now me and 40k have at times had an up and down relationship um and i'm in a really healthy spot with 40k i think that that's one of the big things for me so it allows me to want to play more when you're not enjoying something it's hard to want to do it but i think i practice probably more than just about anybody that maybe doesn't live at 
Joel's house. You know, for I think I probably had a, a three or four month stretch where I was doing three games a week at the house. Wow. So That's anytime, impressive. yeah, yeah, I've played, I've played so many games. I don't know that anybody has played more games of 40k than me than maybe you guys this year outside of tournaments. You know, that I haven't been able to travel to. But the nice thing about that is I have different practice partners that I play with. I've got my guys from Fayetteville that I get together with, like Delgado and them, and I've got Jay. So whenever I get with together with Jay, we do some of the harder mission styles. But then when I get together with other guys, you know, EJ or, or Brian, we just typically like roll missions off. So I would say that I get a good mix of, hey, let's practice on a clock with no take backs on the hardest setting versus the hardest armies. And I get to play a little bit kind of easier games where we just roll for it. We kind of play them with take backs and kind of play them with, okay, we'll just, if something was terrible and you really screwed up or I really screwed up, we'll just like rewind time and we'll just do that different so we can learn, you know, it will basically play through two turns of like, okay, this is what was bad. And, you know, this was what went really well. And then, oh God, this was the darkest timeline. And I lost this 400 point unit because I was a silly goose. And then I realized if I do that, I'll lose. But I think we do a really good mix of hard play testing, you know, that maybe tournament stress testing is maybe how you'd call that. And then balance that with more freeform games that allow us to really dive into some of the other missions and that are a little bit less stressful and more just kind of fun and have a beer and a drink and, you know, take backs and stuff like that. So having a good mix of playtest partners, having a good goal for your session and your time spent is really important. You know, I think that that's actually one of the more relevant topics around practice sessions is like, what's the goal of this evening of 40k? Is it to prepare for data scry salvage versus Hail of Doom Eldar? Well, I guess what? I've played that game 15 times, you know, so I have an idea. Is it versus, you know, Chaos Knights with a bomb and et cetera, unkillable on abandoned sanctuaries? Well, I've played that game too, you know, so having a good mix is helpful. Yeah, it almost sounds like you you have a real approach to your playtesting process. Not only do you get tons of games, but you you identify what variable am I trying to learn today and then really focus on learning that aspect of the game. But that's a whole topic in and of itself and probably beyond what we'll, we'll be able to get to in this particular show, but exactly right. Defining what you want to get out of your time and then doing that and then not necessarily be trying to, well, well I rolled hot. You know, you got to get out of those, vari- you know, figure out where the variance was and how to compensate for it. A lot of games does that. But then also th- that point you made about defining what you're trying to do and taking the steps to do that is, uh, is a really nice point. Seriously, Mike, you're, you're, the effort you put into getting better at this game is no surprise you're having such a successful season. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. I've been working, like I said, I've been a really good headspace for 40K. I've got a great practice group of guys and friends around me. Uh, I listen to a lot of the content that you guys put out and it's, you know, I mean, you know, me and Paul have been friends for, God, 20 years or 15 years. And I feel like we've been friends for, you know, almost 10. So it's nice that you can just watch your friends put out good content that helps you get better and and it feels like you're hanging out with them in the process, you know? So all of that's been really helpful for me. And I think one of the team, you know, the, the whole goal setting aspect has been really important too. So I'm looking forward to more events and crushing and hopefully can get six scores to see where I would be ranked, you know, for the ITC. Yeah, that's awesome. Got a couple more questions about your army before we let you go. Keep crushing the ITC. The infamous piece you're running, uh, Cassie the Castigator, as it's infamously known. Why is this tank in your army? Oh, man. So it's so funny. I have never had so many, like, what are they called? Like Monday morning quarterbacks (laughs) or backseat drivers come up to me and ask me about a piece in my army list, like ever. 
and you know, are you are you calling me a Monday morning quarterback and a backseat driver? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but it's different. This is journalism. No, this is this is journalism. Okay, this is journalism. But at the GT, I I literally had 20, 25 people walk up to me and say, "Hey, so what's with the castigator?" And you know, I think that there's a couple options. I have the castigator. I know John and Jack have had good use out of it. It just basically fills a hole that sisters need, where they can have you know, with their threat ranges being twenty four inches, having some gun that's thirty six inches, like a heavy bolter is really, really helpful. There are different ways to build sisters. You can have a castigator or you could potentially have something like a couple of single units of mortifiers, which is something that I would like to try. The long and the short of it is that you need some amount of 36 inch range heavy bolter action, because the last thing you want to do is have some unit of swooping hawks just standing out in the open on an objective 30.1 inches away that you're not able to interact with. That's the long and short of it. Like you just need some sort of long range firepower, either a castigator or mortifiers. And if you have mortifiers, then that, you know, there's kind of some flexibility there with potentially adding in paragons instead of maybe a retributor unit. So that's, you just want some heavy bolter action. So do you, do you look at this castigator as a necessary evil? Like I need to have a gun more than 24 inches. I need to be able to interact with something more than 30 inches away from me. So I will pay a ludicrous amount of points for an inefficient tank to be able to interact with the table. Or are you actually excited about this thing? Like, you know, Cassie's going to get stuff done. <laughs> so like a lot of people that play, that even approach something like Magic the Gathering or even 40K, I think a pitfall that some people fall into is they say that something has to be awesome all the time and they don't understand like what it's there for. Um, and if, if you say that you've got this castigator and a lot of times it's just going to fire its heavy bolter at Thousand Suns or Chaos Knight or whatever and not do that great, but it's still going to be a piece that just sips on a backfield objective, holding an objective down, similar to a way a Caladius would be good in Custodes. But in the games where you kind of want it versus something like Raveners, you know, and if you if a castigator gets a bead on a squad of Raveners, it can kill two or three or four of them. If it gets a bead on a Harlequin tank that don't have rerolls, you know, some of the rerolls, you know, it doesn't matter if you can put rerolls a retributor squad to shoot at a Star Weaver, they don't get them. So just firing a bunch of two damage shots versus a Star Weaver is just as good. Firing a bunch of two damage shots at something stupid like a Warwalker is or a Viper is just as good. So it's one of those things that in a lot of matchups isn't that useful other than just being a piece that sits on an objective, but versus specifically Ravener data sheet and specifically like Star Weaver data sheet and basically versus Codex Eldar, it's a strong piece. So army is good enough that it could it could pay that tax in matchups where it's not needed because it's just going to run over a lot of the other armies anyways. So if that means you've got to pay this tax to have a thing that's good when you need it the most, that's important. I do think that having some sort of 36-inch heavy bolter range, at least for me, is kind of like non-negotiable. Now that may not be 100% across the board. People may not feel that way. But for me, I think if I'm not having the castigator, I'm taking, I'm taking either a three-man mortifier squad or I'm dropping the retributors and I'm taking two one-man mortifier squads and I'm maybe putting some paragons in. But yeah, you definitely need something like that. So Mike, you're, the way you've built your list, it, it's beautiful and it speaks to me. Let me break that down. You have a whole bunch of one-ofs and two-ofs in your unit choices. The only three of you have is your Pencha, and even then it's an eight-girl, an eight-girl, and a four-girl. So they're not even the same size. Like one is half as big. It's like 2.5 Repentia units. So this is a pretty eclectic grouping of units. You got like a bunch of different data sheets that all kind of do very specific, unique roles which makes it a little bit hard to talk about, but the way you describe it is like castigators good against like these specific problems. I imagine that's the kind of the mentality you use to create your entire army in, in like short form, I guess. How did you arrive to this group of units together? 
Okay, so you know you want to play battalion, so you could just play stock three battle sister units. Uh, I think running two battle sisters and one novitiates is correct. Um, novitiates are good if for being just a ten girl squad that you can put in your rhino scout on into an objective early and start playing that trading game. Versus caissons, they're kind of a pretty good smite catcher versus something like Eldar that you may outflank. 10 novitiates that come in hot with 30-something attacks can certainly pick up like a squad of, of swooping hawks or, or mess it up. So, you know, running a 2-1 split there makes sense. The Repentia running 8-8-4. I actually think 8-8-4 is better than 8-8-8. If you had 3-8s in your army, I wouldn't say it was bad. But I, I do like the idea of having four girls. Four girls... Like, I think on math that catch all of your buffs can go kill a Warglaive or an Armiker or any of the little Chaos Knights. So just for, 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 like for, for perspective, like you can throw your buffs on a 56-point unit and just go, like, destroy any of those things. They also give you a really good, like, assassination piece that people may not see coming because four Repentia will go kill almost any character in the game with the buffs. Also, they're just a little bit easier to hide. And uh, to come back to the power level point I talked about earlier, the fact that they're four power level instead of six power level is actually relevant in games where you maybe want to reserve one of them. So that actually does come up. The fast attack with having one six uh, Seraphim squad with the flamers, that's a nod to when you want to play Rod, you really, really want to play Rod. And when you want to be able to drop in um, shoot in the sh- in the movement phase. You know, I had a game ber- in the game versus Harlequins. He had a backfield objective that he'd kind of moved off of because it was sticky, and he'd left a corner of the objective where my Seraphim could drop in, land on the objective, take it back, spend one CP, shoot in his movement phase, shot and flamered a Harlequin troop, and then rotted. And that's just like a backbreaking play to have. So that six girls is really good for that. The two five Seraphims, same thing. There's a lot of discussion about running like double Seraphim or double Seraphim running like seven, eight. I know even Robo, like Robos talked about seven, eight squads. The fives are good because, again, they just give you another trade-up piece. When you want them to catch the buffs and go kill a 200-point unit, they can. But they're only five. They're only like 190 points or something, 90 points, I think. You can give them obsec. I think I did that in another game, too, where I gave them obsec. They moved over onto an objective, took control of it, and then, like, I can't remember if they stayed there or left up. They might have stayed there. But I gave them obsec. They jumped over, took an objective, and then, like, accepted a counter charge. That was really nice because they're only 90 points. You can use them as an assassin piece a trade-up piece or just go be annoying and take an objective and then like i said there's the castigator which just kind of is that catch-all heavy bolter action with the retributors but if i wasn't playing a castigator i'd probably play one retributor squad with the the mortifiers and again that's just two solo pieces that play similarly to how eldar would use like warwalkers or a viper or something like that earlier we talked about armor contempt and and, uh you you talked about how to overcome it you know i was asking actually how it benefited you and has that by nature made this list more viable today than it was you know several weeks ago oh uh yeah big time it's actually really really helpful on all of the it's not so much on the repentia because they just basically have their six up invuln save but on all the retributors on all the battle sisters on all the jump infantry you know them being able to just go sit in cover and you're basically almost always taking saves on in cover so your plus one saves you're on a two up ignore minus one into a lot of the uh, Eldar matchups or into the Harlequin matchups or into, you know, getting shot by Deathspitters at AP2, uh, getting shot by Caissons AP2, turning that into AP1 and then being in cover and having a three-up save. It, it's crazy. It, it does feel like night and day. It's like sisters were like the biggest benefiter of it, I think. 
from sisters and caissons, I think sisters benefit more because they use the defensive aspect of it and they just plow right through the other person's usage of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, nice. Uh, we have a segment on the show we call Brutal and Cunning segment where we talk about a combo, you know, something that either you uh, keep in your back pocket or you know you're going to do, something you, you save some command points for, or something that's maybe a two or three step process. That you know, if you deploy, you get that combo off, hit the up, down, up, down, left, right, ABBA, and deliver some devastating results. Do you have something like that? Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think Sisters may have like the best one in the whole game, actually. <laughs> So if you take your eight girl Repentia and you put the Dogmata bus on them, and again, you've got to roll a couple of dice to do it, but you can have the squad of eight Repentia that's standing still. You know, they normally have two attacks each, so that's 16 attacks. And when they charge, they gain an extra attack, so they have to go up to 24 attacks. And if you give them plus one attack from the Dogmata, then they're at 32 attacks, right? So now you have your squad of Repentia with 32 attacks. And so you give them false buff. So now they reroll to hit and wound, which they already reroll to to hit because of Zealot a lot of the time. So now they're just rerolling to hit and to wound. And then you charge them in, you give them holy piety, so they get plus one to advance and charge. You give them driven onwards, so they you know advance and charge and they run 2d6 or they charge 2d6, take the highest. They've got holy piety, so they're adding an inch to both advance and charges. And then so you get that squad from wherever it is to wherever the target you want to kill. I had a game versus the Tyranids versus really good player locally, Frank, and I think his hive tire was like 23 inches away. And I had like a six and five on my miracle dice and so we talked it all out and it's like okay i'm gonna move them they have holy piety so they're moving six plus six plus one you measure out your five you get a plus one and you're like okay i've got two dice i need to roll a four up with a reroll to make this charge which is pretty crazy to think they get over there they touch the hive tyrant and i had two times so i had uh versus that hive tyrant they got them from like you know over 20 something over 20 inches away and then they have like a number of strats that they can pop depending on really how hard you actually just need to kill something and like how big of a deal the thing you're trying to kill is so you've got the default like tear them down stratagem which is your buddy rose strat which makes sixes to hit auto wound because you're the passion sixes to hit explode and then one of the better strats now in the current game is suffer not the witch which gives you plus one to hit so that means instead of hitting on fours with three rolls you're hitting on threes with three rolls and then you also have savage twist which is one cp which turns your two damage attacks into three damage attacks on sixes to wound so if you have like 32 attacks with three roll to hit and exploding sixes hitting on fours, you normally average right around 32 hits. If you've got that hitting on threes, you actually get more hit. You get more hits than you threw attacks. And then some of those, in addition to that, auto wounded, which every auto wound versus something is basically comparable to like an X amount of attacks that you needed to wound. You know, it's kind of some math there. But every six to auto wound counts as like sometimes two or three extra attacks, basically. And then uh, you go in with your reroll to wound. If you really got to get it dead, you have your repentance superior, which gives them plus one to wound. And then they're rerolling to wound on top of all that with sixes to doing three damage. For perspective, I had a Chaos Knight that I charged from 20 inches away in the tournament that I did 39 damage to it and just completely sent it to the Shadow Realm. That Tyrant in the Tyranid game was 23 inches away, and I got and I just smoked him in one shot with this Retributor Squad, this Repentia Squad. So you can basically apply plus one attack, run and charge, um, Vols buff on either Repentia or Xerophim, and they can just go out. And depending on exactly how much, you kind of need to understand the math behind it to just, to determine like how many attacks or how many of the strats you need to use because you have access to like three separate one CP strats to buff your offense. But you basically have six missiles in your army or five missiles in your army that can go out and just destroy something with that setup. Yeah, I think I think that counts. 
Yeah, 39 damage to a knight is pretty good from 20 inches away with a 100-point unit. Qualifies uh, for the yeah. season coming second. Yeah. <laughs> it's so awesome. They're like, oh, man, what's happening? It's like, oh, your knight's going away. Hold on. I think we should start ranking these. Like on a scale of 1 to 10 brutal and 1 to 10 cunning, where would you put them? Oh, that's definitely like 10 on the brutal. 10 on the brutal. <laughs> like, it sounds brutal. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Dude, it's I so wonder- bad. Uh, I do want to remind everyone this is part one of a two-part conversation. Uh, so we're going to be wrapping this particular uh, segment up very soon. But if you'd like to join in part two, that's for subscribers. Uh, all you got to do is go to the website, figure out how to do all that, and then you can be a part of it with us. In the next segment, we are going to be talking about like how to deal with a very specific list, getting down into you know how you face some of what a lot of people consider the top the top list, top competitors at tournaments, how to encounter them, how to beat them. And Mike, you've seemed to figure that out. Oh uh, yeah. It's all back, you know, going and having a plan, you know, 40 K you've got to have a plan. You've got to get a pretty good list and you've got to play well on the day, not tilt. And you got to get a little lucky. So <laughs> takes a little bit of all of it. If you have not subscribed, please consider doing that on this post. You can like hit the thumbs up, uh, leave some comments or whatever, leave some five-star reviews wherever you're looking at this. That's one way uh, that kind of tells the aggregators for folks to find us and maybe joining the discussion as well. Mike, going to wrap this segment up right now. Jump back in with you on the next segment, if that's all right. Yeah, it works for me, bro. Nick, we'll see you as well in a minute. Adios, amigos. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com